all up in prayer. So let's bow our heads and let's, let's go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We thank you that we can celebrate. We can have joy. We thank you that Christmas is a time that we can rejoice. And Lord, we thank you that we can do it together as a church family. Lord, we also know that um, life happens and it's very difficult sometimes. And sometimes Christmas is a reminder of some hurts, grieving, uh, loss. And Lord, we want to lift up anyone who is experiencing those things right now. We pray for your peace and your comfort over them. We pray, Lord, that they would just truly feel and sense your presence with them. And Lord, we lift them up in prayer. We pray as we get into your word, may your Holy Spirit remind us, teach us, encourage us, Lord God. And we just ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know how many of you have had a tough year. How many would describe you had a tough year? Pretty difficult? Was it rough? I don't know if maybe you felt disappointed. Was this a disappointing year? Maybe painful? I don't know what kind of year you've had or, or, you know, what you're bringing into this Christmas time. I know there are a lot of people, like I mentioned, that who are struggling a bit. And maybe it's not just this past year, but maybe it's been an accumulation over time. Would you say you're ending this year stronger in your faith or is your faith weakened over this past year or maybe year and a half, two years, or however long it goes? Do you find yourself, your faith strengthened, or do you find your faith weakened as you're approaching the end of the year? As I mentioned, you know, many people feel they, they enter Christmas and the new year, they, they struggle with a sense of hopelessness or, or, or defeat or pain or hurt. And if you find yourself that, maybe you're on the opposite end. Maybe you're approaching Christmas and you're excited. You're happy. You have no complaints and you're on that side of the spectrum. Or maybe you're on the other side. I imagine most of us are probably find ourselves somewhere in between, right? We've experienced both highs of faith and lows of faith, disappointments and rejoicing, and maybe somewhere we fall along in the middle. But wherever you find yourself along that spectrum, whether you are doing great or whether you've had difficulty and are struggling. I do want, I pray that today we're reminded of, the, of all that Christmas really represents to us. Joy, hope, faith, freedom, peace, love. All those things, that's what we celebrate with Christmas. And hopefully that this, you know, by the end of the day that we can be reminded of why we can encourage ourselves, why we can celebrate and have joy and peace and faith and freedom even in the midst of times of struggle. Even when your life is really not where it needs to be or you want it to be or you're wondering about your faith, all those things that we can find assurance of faith, hope, joy, peace, freedom, so we're going to take a look, oh, we've been looking, we started last week, about the story of Christmas, and we saw how Mary and Joseph really had to act in faith by the announcement that they were given, 
And we see how there's a point where our faith and God's intervention, there's a point where it meets, it intersects. And the point where our faith and God's intervention intersects, it meets, it leads to a new path for us. And that path is a relationship with Jesus. That intersection of our faith and God's intervention. And once that meets, a new path opens for us. That's a relationship with Christ. And that's what we celebrate today. And that's what we're going to continue to look at when we look at the Christmas story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. If you remember in the beginning of last week's message, Luke talked about when he started his gospel, he told them exactly why he's writing the gospel. He's giving an account of why they believe. Why they believe. And so he's bringing it all the way back to Jesus' birth. The events leading up to Jesus' birth. This is why we believe. This is an account. This is the result of my investigation. I've looked into it, why we believe, and here is the account. So we're picking up in chapter 2, verse 1. So it writes, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census Everyone to his own city. This is not working. So if, I, if someone can do that, that would be great. Verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. Verse 6, And it came about while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there's no room for them in the inn. Now we're familiar with how the birth of Jesus is traditionally portrayed, right? You may recall some pictures like this. All right? Mary and Joseph are traveling by donkey to Bethlehem, and usually we see pictures that they're traveling at night, right? They go door to door looking for a room to stay because Mary, who's very pregnant, is going to have a baby any moment, right? And that they can't find any room. There's no place for them anywhere to stay. So we have an innkeeper who says, well, I don't have any place inside, but you can stay with the animals, right? So we have the classic nativity scenes of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus laying in a manger. And then usually in the nativity scenes, we see like, you know, the animals nearby, the shepherds, and maybe the, the magi who's, who's looking around, right? Those are very familiar scenes of the nativity scene. It's kind of funny. I don't know if you can tell, but, uh, you know, when you see most of those nativities, I hope for Mary's sake, Baby Jesus didn't look like that. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but usually those nativities, baby Jesus is like, looks like he was just like walking. <laughs> he was born walking or something. I hope, for Mary's sake, baby Jesus was a little smaller than that, you know? Uh, e- even the cartoon one. That's a pretty big baby for Mary and Joseph over there. But that's traditionally how the nativity scene 
is portrayed. But truthfully, some of the traditional uh, details of Jesus' birth is more based on assumption than we really know for certain that Scripture lays out for us. Uh, We really don't know at what point Mary had baby Jesus from the time they arrived in Bethlehem. We assume that she had baby Jesus that, that that day right away, but we don't really know. There's a good possibility that Mary and Joseph were not staying at an inn for travelers, but they possibly were staying at a relative's home. And what that word for inn that we usually translate could also be translated as guest, guest room. So it's possible that Mary and Joseph were staying in a relative's house, but if you could tell, next slide, you know, what, what some possible homes could have looked like back then, there was no room for them in a guest room. So it says that they stayed with the animals. And that's commonplace for houses in those times where the animals kept within the walls of the homes. So they had a separate room for animals. So it's quite possible that Mary and Joseph, they were there at Bethlehem. I mean, it wasn't that night that they had baby Jesus. They were staying relatives. But there was no room for them in the guest room, so they stayed where, with the animals, right? So you may think, I don't know how many of you have nativity scenes, but if you have nativity scenes maybe on your lawn or on your table in your living room, you look at the scene, I'm like, oh my goodness, is this not what Jesus, baby Jesus looked like? Don't worry. You don't have to throw out your nativity scenes, right? You don't have to look at it and say, oh man, I don't know how biblical this is. It's okay. You can freely enjoy your nativity scenes. But we don't know all the details about how it played out. But what we do know is that Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem to go because of the census, right? And we know that Joseph was from the line of David. Why is that significant? Luke makes sure he states that. Matthew states that. We know that's significant because the much-anticipated coming Messiah, the Savior King, was supposed to come from the line of David. It's also significant that they went to Bethlehem. Micah prophesies in chapter 5, verse 2 through 5. In Micah, he says, But as for you, Bethlehem, a prophet, a prophet. I, I, I practice this word too. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. And this one will be our peace. We see how Jesus fulfills this prophecy by by Micah the prophet. This was written some 700 years prior of the coming ruler of Israel. So this picture of this coming ruler of Israel who will be like a shepherd, who will bring peace. He is from the days of eternity, days of old. So we see how here's another example of God using an unlikely scenario to bring about his miraculous work. This coming ruler will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. This is the picture that the prophet Micah presented. And here Jesus is being born 
in Bethlehem. Now speaking of shepherds, we go on in Luke verse 8. It goes on and says, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Now, we don't get a lot of details about the birth of Jesus, right? We don't have a lot of details of the actual birth. Have you ever wondered, how long was Mary in labor with Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, like, did Jesus, was, when he was born, did he cry? Or did he, was he the most chillest baby ever born? You know? We don't get those details. It's, it's kind of funny when... when women have their babies, for some reason, we kind of go to those details. We want to know, well, you had to be congratulated. How long were you in labor? Like, how long were you in excruciating pain? Right? Did your baby cry a lot? We don't have those details. The Bible wasn't written for our own interests today. We like to hear those stories today. Maybe, you know, God didn't put those details because he didn't want us comparing Mary, our, our uh, not our labor, I was never in labor. Your labor with baby Jesus and Mary, right? Maybe he spared us children from hearing, I, you know, I labored 18 long hours with you. You, <laughs> I was in labor with you much longer than, twice as long as Mary had Jesus, you know? We don't have those kind of details. But what you do have, the details we do have, is the announcement of Jesus' birth. And here we see, imagine, here are these shepherds. They're out in the fields with their sheep, minding their own business, just like, I'm sure, like every other night that they had. And then all of a sudden, this angel appears before them. And not only just this appearance of a person, but the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Probably the brightest light that they had ever witnessed or seen. Rightfully so, they were scared to death. It says they were, they were, there was with great fear. Now it's interesting, the differences, excuse me, of how God chose to announce Jesus' birth. If you remember from last week, we, we didn't talk too much about this, but Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were told that they were going to have a baby, and, and that baby was, was John, Right? And we didn't cover this passage, but how they found out is God sent an angel while Zacharias was doing the temple, his temple work, and he, he appeared before the altar of incense. So Zacharias obviously was scared to death, right? He was afraid. But here we saw last week Mary. Gabriel appears before Mary. She wasn't frightened, but she was kind of, you know, just kind of bewildered by what is going on. For Joseph... God chose to reveal to Joseph through a dream. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and, and, and uh, announced this surprise birth. And then here we see the shepherds. An angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, but this time it showed with God's glory to the shepherds. And then we're going to read how the glory of the Lord plus a multitude of angels. It's interesting, I wonder... Why the differences of how God chose to reveal this announcement? And I wonder if it's because he revealed to them just enough for them to believe. What it will take for them to believe. This is what you need to believe. 
But at the same time, there's room for you to have faith that you're going to have to believe and trust what I'm saying is true. I wonder if that's why. He gave them just enough for them to believe. I wonder that because I know that's been true in my life. When God has done things in my life, He's done it in a way that I can't have any other explanation other than to say it must be God working. But at the same time, there's just enough room for me to say, you know what? But is it? And I have to trust. I have to have faith that this is God working in my life. So there's room where I have to, I, I, I come to the conclusion at the same time, I still have to exercise faith and trust. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. I'm sure many of you experience that you wonder, is this really God? Or is it just my imagination? Many of us wonder, we say, God, what do I need to believe in you? What do we require from God in order to believe? And for many of us, we wait for that miraculous sign that there's without a doubt, it has to be from God. But if time elapses, we have that event. If time elapses, will we still say it's from God? Or will we move on to another reason to question God and demand another sign? See, when we have faith in God, we can't rely, that's not a faith that relies on the miraculous sign. We can't always say, God, I need you to show me a sign for me to trust and believe. And then you move on to the next one. God, I need a miraculous sign for me to trust and believe. That's not the faith that we want to have. We can't rely on that. We don't rely on that in our relationships, right? I mentioned about marriage earlier. If our marriage relationships were based on that, can you imagine that? You enter a relationship, it's like, all right, honey, I love you, I trust you. But the next day, you're like, you know what? I need you to show me a sign that I can believe you. I need you to do something for me, for me to trust you. If you base a relationship on that, it's unstable. There is no trust. Likewise with God. How much do we require from God for another, in order for us to trust him? To believe to have faith. Here in this instance with the shepherds, what happens? God announces the birth of Jesus with this awesome experience. Mary with this awesome experience. Joseph with this amazing experience in a dream. And they had to make a decision. Do I believe? Or is this all hallucination? What happened with the the shepherds? We read in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Why is that odd? You don't typically find babies lying in a manger, right? Verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
So the angel provides words of comfort. Do not be afraid. These shepherds are terrified. You would be terrified. It's, it's dark at night. You're with the sheep. You're not expecting anybody. And then someone appears with this bright light. He says, do not be afraid. And look at the announcement again. What is the announcement? I bring you good news. He's announcing the gospel. This news is of great joy. And it shall be for all people, Jews and Gentiles, that in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel brings the good news of great joy. And we can't lose this message. That the message of Jesus is of great joy. We can't forget that. As we've mentioned several times already this morning, Christmas is not about the presents. Because how many of you have got disappointing presents? Right? How many of you got disappointing presents Friday night at the Secret Santa thing? Right? Christmas is not about, I mean, yes, we enjoy the family, we enjoy the church, all those things. But that's not the joy in the message. The message that the Savior has come is what brings us great joy. And the shepherds, they would know what the angels were saying was significant. Because unto this night in Bethlehem, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, is come. These shepherds would understand, whoa, wait a second. The Messiah, the Savior King, the one we have been waiting for, is born today. Think about that. That meaning gets lost among us, right? We don't quite grasp the magnitude of that announcement. And the fact that he's announcing it to shepherds. This is the greatest news of the day. And here it's being announced to shepherds. Think about what is, the, what is like the most highly anticipated birth that we have seen in the last, I don't know, quarter century. Can you think of one? I was trying to think of it. I don't know what's the most highly anticipated birth. Perhaps maybe uh, the birth of a, in the royal family, maybe. That was like the most anticipated birth. And in these days, how it's covered, can you imagine you're the reporter who was given the, the opportunity to be the first one to announce the birth of that child? Reporters would do anything to be the one to announce such, a, such big news. We often think it has to be someone of importance, right? Here are the most exciting news comes and God reveals it to shepherds of all people. This would be absurd for the people of those in that time. Of, of all people, shepherds? It's absurd to us, but to God, it was perfect. Because what have we seen? God often chooses the unlikely to carry out his miraculous work. He uses unlikely people in unlikely circumstances to carry out his miraculous work. See, shepherds in those days, they were not highly thought of in society. 
They were thought of as very lowly, unclean even. They weren't trustworthy. So they probably were one of the fewest people that they would have thought would have such news. But yet, what does God do? He chooses the shepherd. And if you're familiar with Scripture, shepherds have a close place in God's heart, doesn't he? We see it throughout Scripture. Jesus, of course, refers to himself as the good shepherd in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Maybe the most well-known psalm is what? Psalm 23. The Lord is what? My shepherd. King David was a shepherd. There's something about a shepherd that is close to God's heart. And here we see one more example of how God works and how the world has the complete opposite perspective as we ought to. We highly esteem so many different people for so many different reasons, and it's often the exact opposite of God. So this good news, and it also says it's not just for the Jews, but it's for all people. God's plan was for to bless all people, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles alike. In verse 13, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men whom he is pleased. If the angel wasn't enough, a multitude of angels appeared. It said glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. What do they declare? Glory to God and peace among whom he is pleased. Peace is a promise from God throughout Scripture. We've seen it in our study with Philippians a number of times. Peace. Well, we saw in Philippians 4, 7, when we let our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your heart's and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 9, I'm sorry. Philippians 4 4 9. Paul reminds us when we practice thinking about what is good and pleasing to God, the God of peace shall be with you. And of course, Jesus says in John 14 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. This is a constant promise from God. His peace. His peace that can be with us. If you're troubled today, you're anxious, you're worried, you're disappointed, you're fearful. He says, I want to give you my peace. I want you to rest in peace. But what does it say? Peace. Peace cannot expect, well, our people can't expect to experience this peace if it refuses to believe the one who gives it. All right? 
We can't expect to receive his peace and experience his peace if we refuse to believe the one who's giving it to us. People expect the benefits without the commitment, right? We want God to do things for us before we can believe in him. He says, I want to give you peace. Will you believe in me? Verse 15, and it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. How did the shepherds respond? They responded with belief. They said, Let us go and see what has been revealed to us. They didn't say, man, that was crazy. Did you see that? I didn't see that. Man, that's crazy. Is that, can we believe that? Nah. We need another sign. God, if that was you, show it to me again. No, they said, we need to go. Let's check out what was revealed to us. It's a good thing they did. Verse 17, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. I wonder if Mary's family was there at the birth and the shepherds told them, hey, this is what was told to us about this child. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. It's amazing the shepherds responded by being the first ones. They were the first heralds of the great news. The ones to be the first ones to proclaim the good news. And we see how, but Mary kept it in her heart. She kept it to herself. I speculate again. I wonder if this was according, how this was according to God's plan. You see how God valued the shepherds as witnesses, but yet in those days they were not valued as witnesses. They weren't necessarily trustworthy, but yet he chose them to announce it. Mary kept it to herself, wondering about it, contemplating this, treasured it in her heart. Why was this place? I believe because it wasn't time for Jesus to be announced, the Messiah, the King. God made sure that there were witnesses. God made sure he made it, showed it to him, proclaimed it in a way that they would know this was God. But yet the news wouldn't spread. It kept quiet because it wasn't time for Jesus to be announced as the Messiah, King. If you remember, just like David, right? David was anointed king, but he wasn't king right away. Years went by before he became king. You think about all these things, and Jesus himself, his ministry didn't start until his early 30s. So time had to to, to lapse before even his ministry. And you think about the story, the story of the Christmas story, all these miraculous things, all these unbelievable circumstances. And many people hear this and they wonder, can, is this believable? Can we really believe that this is how it happened? I think the fact that God worked within human 
history, within common people who had common lives, but he did the miraculous thing, I think for me, that only speaks of more reason to believe. For me, that is, that is proof. That's confirmation that this must have taken place. Why? Because if you're going to tell a crazy story, you would either want to do it in a way that is believable. You're going to pick people who would be believed, who would be trusted. You would pick manners in a way that, you know, is most probable, right? You wouldn't choose improbable circumstances, improbable people. Or if you're going to make up a story, you're going to do it in such an extravagant way that there were no witnesses. So no one can refute your claims, right? If I was to tell you last night, while I was sleeping, an angel appeared before me and did some miraculous thing. And you say, where was Jamie? Oh, well, Jamie wasn't there. What about your family? No, they weren't there either. They just happened to be out that day. No other witnesses. Right? If there was a miraculous thing over time, people would say, well, it must be hallucination. Fairy tales, folk tales, made up stories. Yet for God, what he did, he chose to do it in a manner within the common life of people, common people. But he did so in miraculous and extraordinary ways. See, we demand signs, we demand proof, but for God, he says, I have given you proof. I have given you signs. What more do you want to believe? God calls us to live by faith. He calls us to trust him. And sometimes when we demand signs, we demand proof, we really kind of just demand our own ways. We find reasons over time. Why should I doubt? Why should I believe? And we do question God. But God calls us to live by faith, not a blind faith, but a faith based on what he has already done and what he does in your life. So why should we believe the Christmas story? Why do we celebrate? Because a great announcement has been given to us. The gospel, the good news, this is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus, the Savior King, was born. He came in extraordinary means, extraordinary ways, miraculous ways. But this Savior King, this Jesus, he came, as we know, to be sacrificed for us. As we saw that what was announced to just, he will be the Savior. He will be the one to cleanse us from all our sin. But this Savior King, this Jesus, he will be resurrected and he will ascend. He will not be conquered by death. He will be resurrected and ascend his rightful place before the Father. And Jesus, the Savior King, what? He is coming again. He is going to come again to fulfill the promise of hope and peace. See, for the Jewish people, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And he came. And for us as the church, we also are waiting for the Messiah King to come again. We're waiting for that day. That he will come again. And he will establish his peace, his hope. 
that we will realize that. That there will come a day we're not going to feel the pain and the sorrow that we feel today. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. No more sickness. No more sin. That is the good news. That is the celebration we have that God gave us the greatest gift through His Son, Jesus Christ. So what is our response? As I mentioned, our faith intersects with God's intervention and it brings about a relationship with the Lord. And that's what God wants to give us. That is the greatest gift we can have. When we make the steps to say, God, I believe in you. I want to place my trust in you. I don't have all the answers as to why. I can't explain everything why. But Lord, I want to believe in you and who you are and what you've done. And when God intervenes in our life and we start that relationship with Christ, buckle up. The greatest gift we can ever experience But that decision to believe precedes the fulfillment. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is you need to believe if you want to experience the peace, the forgiveness, the grace, the love of God. We can't go to God and say, God, I demand you to give it to me. Then I will believe in you first. You hear the story. You hear who God is and what he has done. Do you believe? Do you want to receive it? Or do you want to say, I'm going to wait and hold out till you show me more? Because I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you're waiting for, what kind of signs, what kind of things that you're waiting for God to do. I'm sure God knows what it will take for you to believe. But I just hope that it wouldn't come at a painful price. My grandfather lived to be 104. All my mom's life, they prayed for his salvation, that he would come to know Christ. And he stubbornly refused and refused until he found himself on his deathbed where he came to Christ. 104 years Praise God, he did. I don't know what we demand from God. We demand miracles. He's done miracles. He's done miracles in our life. And he also does things in our everyday common life that if we really, really think about it, it must be God. What will it take for us to meet that intersection of faith to say, God, I trust in you? Lastly, our enduring faith will reap his faithful promises. Instead of being in, demanding God to God, I submit to you, I want to trust in you. If you do so, you will see God's faithfulness and his promises for you. Even in difficult circumstances, I'll end with this. Again, I mentioned, I don't know how, where you are right now, if you find yourself a strengthened faith over the year or a weakened faith of the, over the year, whether the times have been great or they've been disturbing, stressful, uh, you're, you're down hard, whatever it may be, 
Know that God is there with you and is going to walk with you through it. And if you trust in him, you will realize, you'll experience his peace. Sometimes it doesn't come in the form we want it to be. Sometimes our circumstances don't always change the way we want it to be. But in that moment when we trust him, we will experience his peace and he'll say, I am with you. I am with you. And know you have a hope that goes beyond anything you can experience in this earth. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your coming is a message of hope and joy and peace, forgiveness, love, freedom. You came that you may offer that to all who believe. And Lord, I don't know the hearts in this room, but you do. Your Holy Spirit knows. Your Holy Spirit knows the hearts of those who may be watching or listening. You know the conditions of their heart, whether they're feeling joy or feeling broken. They're happy, they're content, or they feel lost and lonely and hurt. We pray the message of the good news that Jesus, you came and you are here and you have your love and your peace and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. You offer that to us. Lord, may we, in this room, take those steps of faith as Mary did, as Joseph did, as even those shepherds did. They heard, they believed, and they followed through. A relationship with the Lord is waiting for you. Lord, we thank you for this great joy. We continue to worship you and celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.